the great gift of my life is I've never sold anything I don't believe in. Yeah. It's, it, I just refuse to. I'm and not good at it. That's, that's the thing. And, and if you're not good. I not, suck at selling. <laughs> I'm great at talking about the <laughs> I believe in. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 325 of the Ask Gary V Show. And I'm very excited about uh, this episode. Uh, let's go right into it. I know a lot of people are watching on live stream across all the platforms, but it's gonna be LinkedIn today as we continue testing out LinkedIn Live. Uh, LinkedIn, please put in your phone numbers if you have a question uh, for my distinguished guest here today. Mark, I'm gonna allow you to introduce yourself in a second. Uh, new book is out, uh, obviously. Um, I'm really excited about talking about uh, Netflix and his career, but I wanna get into a bunch of questions because even in the first three, four minutes of just hanging with him before we went live, I think the energy is gonna be really good, which is exciting to me from a content standpoint. So Mark, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about your origin story. Sounds good, Gary. Um, so Mark Randolph, uh, co-founder, first CEO, Netflix, and now soon to be author, which is kind of adding something totally new to my mix. Good for you. Uh, origin story. Wow, I'm I'm 61, so I'm still working out what my origin story is. Like, well, where were you born? I was born just over there in Chappaqua, up in, in Westchester. Chappaqua. Yeah, so Very I'm nice. a I'm a New York boy. Yes. At least I was for the first half of my life. And so, what kind of kid were you? So, um, I was a kid who, anytime I wanted to do something, my parents said, well, "Go for it." That's awesome. Like I'd come home and go, "Dad, I'm going to go caving," and rather than being like, uh, "What are you? What are you nuts?" I'd get the Fantastic! That sounds really cool. That's really neat. It was really neat. Were you, where were you in the? You only child? You have siblings? No, I'm the oldest of three. Okay, so, so right all, off the bat, even you know, it's funny. You hear that a lot more from a third child's perspective. <laughs> that so even as the oldest, your parents had gave you some room. Yeah, I think for third child, it's like, what's what's your name? What? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know. It's that kind of yeah. thing. No, it was it was really great. And it, all, other thing, I kind of I do reflect back on what was it about how I grew up that maybe gave me some of the of things course. I have. And, but one is that it was also a family where no was always just something to get around. It was like not something that you took no and walked away and left. From the standpoint of if your parents said no, they appreciated you trying to figure it out? A little bit. Because my mom was like that a little bit. Yeah, and also them kind of recognizing that whenever a barrier came up, it wasn't like we give up and walk away. Okay. It, it was always being said, there's, I'll be an amazing go, example. Go right into it. This is a little bit later. This is when I was, I was graduating from college. Okay. And I wanted to get a job as a uh, advertising exec. Okay. I was really into. I get it. So anyway, I applied for this job at NW Air, which okay. is no longer here, but uh, yep. big firm. Yep. And it was one of those jobs which only usually goes to MBAs. Yep. This is an undergraduate. So it was a long shot thing. And there was like, I don't know, a thousand people applying. And I got through the first round. And then the second round, they bring you to New York. And I got to the second round. And then the third round, they bring you back. And I got down to the point where there was only four people applying for this job. Wow. And it was like this, holy And I went in and interviewed with everybody whole day and didn't get it. And went slinking back up to upstate New York to college. And then I'm going, well, I'm, I'm not going to. Give, give up. up. So I wrote these long emails, to, or letters. Letters. Letters to everybody. And basically it was saying like, all right, you I try again. What could I do better? What should I learn? What do you want to see? And then the guy goes, come on down. And brings me up and offers me the job. And the crazy thing is that no one was given the job. None of the four of us. Interesting. That this was a job which was about turning a no into a yes. And so they said no to everybody and waited to see who would not take no for an answer. Really? Absolutely. That's amazing. Isn't that a crazy, crazy thing? I love it. Yeah. And so that really is probably the best articulation of how I grew up. Interesting. So you took that job? I know. I, I kind of actually <laughs> noticed how I just set that up. I kind of, the way you were you telling the story, I'm like, he didn't take the job I didn't I took an even crazier job which was uh there was a guy I've uh, this is a, I haven't even told this story before there was a, a guy in Memphis Tennessee owned a big cotton company sold it been in the family for 200 years made a gazillion dollars okay and was basically driving around throwing money out the window basically feels like today <laughs> there you go uh -huh. and he bought these properties and I'm kind of an outdoorsy guy. Okay. I mean, I've always been into like yeah, climbing. Even your, yeah, your story was caves. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like I was guy. like, whoa. So this guy had bought a ski shop. He had bought a place out in Vail. And he was looking for someone to tie them all together. 
And he goes, you're going to you're going to run this kind of this big co-marketing business. Did you know and him that, through family friends? Oh, uh, yes. There's no way that somebody like that would give you that at bat at that young of an age unless there was some other variable relationship. Uh, Gary, you're dragging me down to these complicated stories, but uh-huh. I can, you're probing. So there's a, an organization that and I, I apologize. And this is where I want to bring value to the audience, Mark. Here's why. The reason I'm probing is because I have a very good sense of my audience. And ironically, I'm pretty good at this other than the fact I love to interrupt all the time because I'm just, because I already know what the answers are and because I'm usually on a time crunch. So they actually, the audience gets mad at me because I interrupt everyone. On the flip side, I have an incredible sense of what stories could bring value. I promise you, Mark, let me tell you one thing about this audience. This is not the Today Show. Like, what's amazing about this audience is 34 people, arbitrary number, just heard that story and literally in the next 24 hours are gonna reply to a no and one of them is gonna get a yes and you and I literally right now just changed the course of somebody's life and that's what gets me high. It's, it's unbelievable and by the way, don't worry about the interrupting. I mean, if you had just said like pass the rolls, yeah. I would have thought I was sitting at home. <laughs> yeah, I love so, it, so go so ahead. It, totally, so tell me about the story. The Memphis, totally cool. dude, how'd you get to him? So um, when I was 14, they packed my parents packed me off to Wyoming to do this backpacking trip in the mountains. And it turns. I apologize again. Which one of your parents was super outdoorsy, if either? My dad. Okay. My Keep dad. Going. Dad grew up in Austria, so he he kind of had this whole. Uh, Keep going. So, um, and then I, I I loved this program, and it was a program that teaches leadership using a wilderness as a, as a setting. And I was a student there for three or four summers, and then I ended up teaching there as a leader, and then eventually got to the point where I was leading leading the whole courses. So a lot of responsibility, young. That was my college summer job. And so this Julian J. Hohenberg III, the guy with the cotton company, yep. one of the things he did when he was throwing the money out the window was, I'm gonna take a course. He went out to Wyoming, he did this course. You taught it? I did not, okay. but he was so enamored. By the course. And the instructors, that when he heard from my, through someone else that I was an instru- a course leader there, he, he goes, I want that guy. You know what's so funny? I, to this day, still have that in me. You show me a kid, a guy or a gal, who flips sneakers, sells blow pops, does cards. Like, I believe in that. You know what the genetic marker is for entrepreneurship? I do not. It's candy arbitrage. Everyone, almost everyone I meet, like you said, it's the same thing. It's going in and buying it for 10 cents and the next day you go to school for a buck. And if you show and, me any, and people why, see that. It's why I love people that sell weed who sold, like if you tell me that you sold weed from a bad neighborhood, obviously, <laughs> normally, but not always, and you sold nickel bags, I already am interested in you because it means you literally arbitraged dime bags. <laughs> well, this is somebody who's never smoked weed telling this story, but Mount Ida College taught me, but I always thought my friend Rob Muse would have been a good entrepreneur because he had the discipline and the grind to go down to the nickel bag level. That takes a real commitment. And so arbitrage in any way. Absolutely right. It's, have that, it's the vision to go, oh, I'm not gonna, it, it, it's seeing an opportunity. It's seeing a pressure differential. 100%. And, and that happens for kids who are six when it's candy. It happens for people when yep. they're 26 or 46 yep. when yep. they see, oh man, taxis suck. You know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna do- 100,000%. It's, it's that's why it's such a marker for that. It's someone who sees Correct. those things early. Matched, of course, with all these other things that you, of course. you've seen, which is- a, So that's what happened. You're a kid out of school, you're 22? Yeah. And you're now running this conglomerate yep. of different businesses. And then even worse, I did this job for six months. And this company, yeah, better. The company, that one of the properties was in, in the uh, kind of a ghost town resort in outside of Vail. Okay. And the manager left and they go, and I go, I want that job. And so they moved me out. And now you have this 23 year old who knows nothing. And he's running this place, which has 60 employees and has these huge cash flow issues and a restaurant and a bar. And, and, and then I'm going down, I'm, I'm doing the marketing and the advertising. And, and it was like cash flow 101. It was management 101. It was thrown into this super deep pool and going swim. I'm sitting here quiet because I'm like, oh my God, we grew up the same way. I mean, that, by <laughs> no. the way, I'm the byproduct of the same thing yeah. in a liquor store. Yeah, It was a small base of like four or five, six employees and then I grew it, but by the time I was 25 years old, I had managed people, I'd paid all my bills with my own cash flow, yeah. no, credit, no credit line. I, Forget you know, about raising capital, no credit line. 
the first business I built from three to $60 million a year in eight years had no credit line. See, that's awesome because then you don't see credit as a crutch. You Correct. see it as a, a it, it's a, a, a thing to use, but you know now how to use that. The otherwise, end. it's awesome. And even if you're trained in it, when I raised money for empathy, I didn't spend it as well. Yeah. When, when, you know, like. That's exactly right. It, it's something that could say if you overspend, you're out of business. And that is a very, very strict teacher. So, um, I mean, yeah. So you did that. These, these are cool things. You learned yeah. some stuff. Did that. And then I got probably the, the job which influenced uh, me the most is that I got this weird job. Quick, quick question that I think yeah, a lot yeah, of people sure. struggle with. So you're 23 and you're in this resort town, right? Yeah. Ski resort town? Sort of. It's halfway between Vail and Steamboat, which means it's in the middle of nowhere. Got it. But it's close to both. And you're 23. 23. And you've got this kind of cool big job. Yep. How did you balance your personal life and your professional life at that point in your life? Because I'm actually, I'm not gonna even lead the question. What did you do? How, uh, how much did you date? How much fun were you having? <laughs> how much not fun were you having? Uh, that's a great thing. It was, it was a really good lesson. I had a lot of fun, uh, so don't get me wrong, because everyone who was working there was 23. Um, that's where I was going, go ahead. Yeah, and so, and, and it was And just, you were the alpha of the 23, and that, was, that was leverage. That was the bad part, though was that these guys, we were, it was on the banks of the Colorado River, so they'd all go, hey, we're all going rafting. And I'm going, I've gotta do you know, inventory, or I gotta pay, I mean, I had res- these responsibilities, and it kinda really was painful. So I got a lot of funds, I'm not b- bemoaning it, but there was this realization that there's a different level of responsibility that I had. But I did meet my wife there, and so uh, something amazing out. did come out, of, uh, awesome. come out of that. Go ahead. All right, so. Come, come back to East um, and got this. How old? Must have been only 24. Still oh, so young. you were there quick. 25, two years in, in Colorado, two and okay. a half years. Okay, keep going. So um, come back and got this crazy job uh, basically as a gopher to the CEO of a music publishing company. I think my title was like uh, chief of staff or something. I'm, the reason I'm looking at all these guys is like literally my, so far, I just want everybody who's listening to me right now to, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark, I'm taking this episode over. Everyone who's listening, I just, I don't know if you've been listening, but I think I could see some of you in the room putting the pieces together. My core, my core advice is to do and like manage and like like actually make and sell like that and, and then, or and or, if you wanna be somebody, go work as an admin, a gopher, a chief of staff, for somebody that's extremely at a very high level, each is basically what I'm saying. Basically is what I'm saying. And I'm just gonna make it simple here. So far what I've heard from Mark is <laughs> the first two things he did in his career was jumped in full throttle, sacrifice is what he was saying, couldn't have as much fun, dealt with all that, was practical, and then, and then had the humility. Let's say it one more time for all the people out there that love being a CEO, had the humility to go from being the lead dog of something like that, you know, in that ecosystem, to then going and being a gopher, a chief of staff of what we're ever about to hear. And I just want to remind all of you, this all led for him to be the co-founder and CEO of Netflix. <laughs> Keep going, Mark. So uh, it's such, I'm so glad you called a little seg- time out on that one because that that is the piece of advice I give to every single person who goes, I want to come out to Silicon Valley. I want to be an entrepreneur. What should I do? And the answer is really simple. You find the smartest person who will take you seriously and do anything they ask. The end. That's it. And Just if, get if close you get, to the sun. Absolutely right. Watch. And I got this job. Wow, you're shaking your head, right? Because now you're thinking about Nagib and you think about all the, right? It, I'm, it's a game. It's, and it's such a simple thing and people get all hung up on their ego and they, they go, Because their uh, ego's insecure. I have, I, have a, I have a degree in this. I should Nobody be. Nobody gives a about your degree. <laughs> That's it's my 2019. Point. <laughs> Nobody gives a or, or, or what your or grandmother's what your SAT name is. is. Yeah, SATs? Like, <laughs> Isn't it like 2400 now? They Change that. <laughs> Nobody even knows what the rules are about SATs anymore. It's crazy. It's it's just you got to do stuff, and you and you got to see how people who know how to do it do it. And it's the combination of those two things. And so I got who, to so what? Some music. Tell me, I'm like it was a music publishing company. Okay. So it, it had rights. You know, it, it published music books, all administered music rights, that kind of stuff. What was the guy's name or gal's name? The guy's name. The guy's name was Lauren Kaiser. Believe right. it or not. But and what like. Uh, like old school dude? Yeah, a little bit. But you know, I, my job was, 
What? Was he rough? Yeah, absolutely. He was kind of a street guy. Uh-huh. But he, because he was music, you know. But he, he was. Give me, give me one ridiculous story for, that he like, like what he, like, I, give me something ridiculous that happened in the first six months that you were there. So you get there. Oh. You're a little bit Colorado chill now. Yeah. You get back it, into the East Coast speed. It was. Pouring from the streets. Pretty intense because it, it was lots of yelling. That's what, that was, that was the hard part about it. I mean, you saw how this guy treated people at all, at all, at all different levels. levels. Yeah. Like he, there was, you see how he dealt with this person or the talent who came in. He wasn't, he was nice to them. And and it was like a real disconnect. He was nice to the talent and on the help. Yes. I understand. And it was kind of a weird thing. No, it's not a weird thing. It's how. Did it. But it was, it was kind of why I opened the reverse. Right, exactly. It kind of really formed this thing in me. There's, there's this guy. Oh, God, this is a good one. I haven't told this story either, so these are Let's good. Go. So there's a guy who was the production manager, okay, who's the guy who's in charge of getting the books out on time. Yes. Unbelievable. I mean, seriously. Yep. And one, this is a true story. One time when someone was about to called up and said, we're going to miss my deadline, he goes, you are not going to miss the deadline. And, he go, and, he, and then he sent them a, pa- a little package. And it had a, a razor blade, a rubber band, and a Dixie cup. And he sent it to them and said, if this is late, I want your in that cup. Like, <laughs> Jesus. I'm going, oh, my it's God. surprising the light in a different way. <laughs> okay, and? But the weird thing is, everyone liked this guy. Like, every morning, hey, Frank. Hey, good morning, Frank. How was your weekend, Frank? And so I'm going, what is wrong with me? Why do I hate this guy? Why can I not stand this guy? And everyone else seems to like him. And then, of course, what happens is he gets fired. And as soon as he's gone, everyone hates him. Oh, it was. And that was another huge revelation for me of seeing, I I call it, uh, it, of realizing that my judgment is okay. I understand. That if I think someone's an. How long did you That three. uh, Oh, that job? Not long because what happened is. No, I stayed at the company. But part of it was working around, he had all these different businesses and one of them was a mail order division. Now we're getting into the big intersection between you and me. Yes, go ahead. Um, and what year is this? Like, this was, a picture. God, 1985 or six. Go ahead. And uh, it's, so, but the mail order division is in the back of all the songbooks is a little line of type that says, for a list of more great Cherry Lane songbooks, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to and my job, which was, and I said, for God knows why, I want that job, I told them. Because you, you could have autonomy? Yes. And, and then, so my job at first was. Take, I just want to remind everybody, we're really <laughs> getting meta here. There's a reason why, now that I understand Mark's framework, you could see how easy that, like that was, I'm sure a lot of people were watching and literally were just like, how do you know that? I know that because once I understand somebody's framework to the world, which we clearly have a very similar one, it's very easy for me to understand that. And it's also where all the opportunity is right now. If you're working somewhere, what's great about entrepreneurship is it's autonomy. What's great about being an executive who has deep entrepreneurial tendencies, but for whatever reason is currently not an entrepreneur, is the ability to see the arbitrage where there is autonomy. Usually where nobody's paying attention to. Yeah. Usually where there's no money yet. If you wait till it's obvious, it's too late. So that's part of it. So um, anyway, this—I mean, this—that's that, that. I went into this business, which is xeroxing the list of more great trailing songbooks and sticking it in the self-addressed stamped envelope, and then going to the warehouse and fulfilling the orders. Why and loved had, that. Why do you think you had so much humility to take on these jobs? Like, go deep with me. Like, not surface level. Why intuitively, deeply, do you think you had the ability to have humility? Because I believe humility has been my deepest advantage on the market. It's not the one I, that's obvious. I don't really care what people think of me, but I think that's, I mean, that's looking back. I think at, for the first 10 years, I didn't even realize that was it. I didn't really care what people thought of me. And so I was following my intellectual curiosity without going through the filter of how will this look? Or, yeah. the, you know what I mean? Yes, I do know what you mean. So it's a, it's a, I think that's part of it. And, and this is fascinating for some weird reason. Intuitively, direct, you're like, there's something here. D- direct marketing. Yep. You know, all of a sudden we'll do color list of songbooks with photos, and now it's a, a brochure, and then it's a catalog, and, and it's loved, mailing. Did you love the feedback? 
Like, oh my God. Like, was that feedback loop the oh addiction? My, unbelievable. Because right? that's what it was for me at first when I think back to marketing. Sure. What if I do this, what will happen? It was almost scientific. And avoiding all the, all the argument. Oh no, it should be red. No, it should be blue. Full I know for sure. Mm-hmm. Or, I know, in fact, or, if red is 0.274% better than blue. But you knew that after the fact. Yes, of course. That's the beautiful thing of it. Well, that's having humility to being okay with being wrong. Yeah, of course. There's, like the other day I posted an Instagram <laughs> post upside down. The video's upside down. It did not do well. I could, I am so happy you don't even know. I <laughs> hypothesized that it might do well. You're going, I wanted it to do well, but nothing gets me more excited than when the market says to me, hey, tough guy, you think you're so good after 25 years? Eat this. <laughs> I love that. I love when the market does that to me. It would be upsetting if all of a sudden they didn't really get the same response upside down as right side up. That would really say something. Well, to me, it's like breaking behavior, right? Yeah. Like, how do you break through? And right. So, anyway, nonetheless. <laughs> okay. So, I, I, direct marketing, so it turns into that. I be, this built this thing up into like a mail order division, like really pretty substantial. Real. Then the next big break was this music company goes, we want to start a magazine. We're going to start a guitar magazine with music in it. And they're all clamoring for the editorial positions because everyone there is into music. And they're going, who's going to do the circulation? And it's like one of those, everyone take one step, whoever wants to do it, take, take one step forward and they all step backwards. And it's like, I'm going, I don't, I don't know how to do magazine circulation. And I learned, taught myself magazine circulation, which is subscriptions, um, subscription marketing, how that whole business works. Launch the magazine. What was the magazine? Called Guitar. Yeah. Yeah, pretty big. Heard of it. Pretty good one, Yeah. Um, successful. Then I got recruited away from there uh, to help start a computer ma- um, computer magazine uh, called Mac User. Went to Mac User and again doing the doing all the circulation work. Uh, we sold Mac User to Ziff Davis. Where? Launched a mail order company. I launched this one. Now each time I'm getting more and more Senior. toward being the alpha mm-hmm. of these things. Then I, then I they put me in charge of launching um, a mail order company called Mac Warehouse. And micro warehouse, big mail order company. Yeah, and um, uh, that went public. But before then, I got the next big break, which is ended up getting hired to turn around a mail order company in Carmel, California. Off my wife and I go to Carmel, assuming it's an expat uh, type assignment. In other words, I'm an East Coast boy. I, you know, and you get to California, you're going. This isn't so bad. The weather can trick you every time. Especially Carmel, which is like Learn spectacular. And all that. Go ahead. And? So uh, we sold, I turned the company around. We sold it to a company back here. And my wife and I are looking at each other and going like, uh, go I'm not sure we want to go back to uh, there. And there's, the thing is in Carmel, um, which is right, it's right on the coast, but it's kind of south. Uh, there's nothing around it. So there's no jobs south, no jobs west, east rather. Certainly no jobs west. The ocean's there. So it's go north, young man. Um, and I ended up getting a job at a company called Borland International with this Philippe Kahn guy that I mentioned earlier um, uh, was CEO. And this was old-fashioned software. Everything was sold in a computer store, all right. retail. No downloads, obviously. No mail order. I remember it. And I saw the arbitrage. I go, this is nuts. I knew all this stuff about mail order. I knew catalogs. I knew how this was going to direct mail. I'd mailed gazillion pieces of direct mail, getting these magazines launched. Um, and I go, this is crazy. And convinced them to hire me to do the direct marketing. And that took me longer. I was at Borland almost seven years, but it took me four years to bring that to almost 40, 45% of all their sales was direct sales. Huge, huge thing. Buried the earth like a, a foot deep in Mail order, piece, mail order pieces for software. But unbelievable. But that was the next transition. There's a little theme of all this I'm stuff. Listening. It's like falling uphill. They needed someone to run one of their software divisions. Not, I was in this marketing group because I was in sales. And they go, could you run this as a general manager? And that put me into the, really into the tech business. Because then I had you know, in, uh, programmers working for me. And I had the full responsibility for bringing out a product. Yes. Um, and that was the transition into being much more into general management in the tech business, yes. learning how software was made, learning all those pieces. Yes. Um, uh, we sold off my division uh, and then ended up, we're almost here, uh, <laughs> ended up um, 
we sold off that division, uh, and I went to work for a, a small startup called Visioneer, which made scanners, which was the most dysfunctional place, even more than the music publishing place. The most dysfunctional place, because the CEO. Everything, everything stems from the top. It does. It was. It was like, you could have a two-person company that's dysfunctional if yep. she or he is an idiot. It, it just wouldn't make a decision. It didn't let people have fight fiefdoms and fight with each other. It was the only job my wife has since said that she could tell I did not want to go to work in the morning. Interesting. Makes sense. So. Um, Why were you there? Uh, about a year, about fifteen months, and I got fired. So uh, second time in my life I've been fired, which they I did you a huge. Yeah, absolutely. You're telling me. And then I got to work. I overcompensated and went to work for two very good friends of mine, starting a small uh, software company. That, and I say overcompensated because it was great you're working for my friends. I know what you're. I understand. And what it was a really geeky software company. It was making uh, tools for quality assurance engineers. At that point, after that 15 month experience, it was nice to go somewhere safe. Oh my God! Absolutely. Yeah, I, I had to be with I people I liked and, and enjoyed. I'm a big fan of what you did. The, the other thing, though, as a marketing person, I kind of have always wanted to understand and like my product, and I didn't really, I couldn't empathize that well with people who did quality assurance. But I, uh, you teach yourself. I, the great gift of my life is I've never sold anything I don't believe in. Yeah. It's. It, I just refuse to. I'm and not good at it. That's that's the thing. And in, if you're not good, I you're not, suck at selling. I'm great <laughs> at talking about the shit I believe in. That's it. I totally agree with you, Gary. That's, that's really cool. Um, anyway, keep going. <laughs> so any, anyway, uh, that's what led because that little software company that I had was with these two other guys starting. Uh, we had 12 people, and we got sold to a big software company called Pure Atria, which was a company which had been founded and was being run by a gentleman named Reed Hastings. That was a good transaction for you, Mister. Absolutely right, because those guys all got banished to the basement to be a business unit. Mm-hmm. I was put in as the head of marketing because he needed a marketing person. So I began working directly for Reed. When? Uh, this was 1996 or 1995. And thus became the relationship. That Yes, and luckily, not just was I working directly for Reed, Reed and I found out we lived in the same town. And so we began commuting to work every day and formed this friendship. Uh, and then the real break was that six to nine months later, Pure Atria was acquired. And unlike the last transition, which was great, you know, investors all made money and we all got to keep jobs. This one, the investors made money, but Reed and I were going to get fired. Or I understand. made redundant, I understand. as this expression goes. And um, I said, awesome, I'm going to start a company. Uh, this is another. Ready. Yeah. And, How old were you at and, the time? 38, 37, 38, something like that. I'm bad with that. Oh, I was ready. And I'd, I'd kind of had these responsibilities of starting companies, yeah, but w- within a framework. Yep. Um, and I knew what I wanted to do because I had all this, I had 20 years of direct marketing experience. I had circular subscription. I, I knew a lot of these pieces and I saw in the internet that this was direct response on steroids. This was catalog done to a level that no one could imagine doing catalog. Yeah. When, you- I, when I launched winelibrary.com in 96, the entire wine business at the highest level, the K&Ls, the Zackies, the Sherry Lehmans, who I aspired to defeat, their entire infrastructure was on catalog. And I remember vividly the first time I saw the internet in 94, and I was yeah. like, I've got them. Yeah. I really thought that. Absolutely, and, you, and, you go, and every every month they miss the boat. You're going like, and they miss the boat. I'm not saying it. That's the beautiful part of people being, you know, early high on the way they did it. Yep. Right. People hold on. It's happening right now. It's why half my audience is not going on TikTok right now because they made it on Instagram or YouTube. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a that's a we should talk about that later. It's a big dynamic about people wanting to lock into what they the past and being unwilling to transition to the future. It's, it's the biggest, kills, it's it, this, the single, it's at, when it's all said and done, it's one of the biggest ingredients to why you and I have had professional success. I, I, we do not demonize the future and we do not put the past on a pedestal. At, yeah, and we're willing to walk away from the past no matter how good and comfortable the past I'll is. I'll spit on the past. <laughs> <laughs> Ready for this? On it. Not only will I spit on the past, <laughs> I'll spit on the past that did right by me. Yes. I built Wine Library on the back of email marketing, on the back of direct mail, on the back of print, on the back of radio, it was later that social emerged. I will on social one day. Yep. I only care about the consumer. And whatever she or he is doing, 
is my religion. There is nothing else. You know, it is so funny because you, I'll put us in the same category. You and I see this so clearly and we can, you can tell people, here's how it works. It's my, my friend. It's, it's hard. It's built on self-esteem and humility. That's yeah. why we see it. Yeah. Weird. Here's why. Whenever our timing has been off has been when we micro failed. What do you our mean? Game, our game is predicated on timing. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you see it, like, you have to get your timing right. Yeah, yeah, right. right? I'm a better executive today than the 21-year-old version of me yeah. because I understand timing better. Yeah, yeah, that's right, right, right. Right? And you see more patterns and you're getting better at all those that's things. Right. Yeah, it's cool. But so, so, but because we've had micro failures because we got, we were there too early, because it's never too late. Yeah. We've been there, because we don't, we don't put that on a pedestal. We can only be too early. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's so, true. so. But you can you be too early, but you, yeah. Correct. Right. So we are only vulnerable to that, and thus, when we've micro failed, it's been predicated on that. Thus, we had to be able to deal with judgment. Right, 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 right. The reason people like the past is because it's safe. Nobody gets fired for it's buying what everyone's commercial doing. and marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well said. Let's get to this part okay. because my entire ecosystem around me is stressed because I'm super behind. <laughs> okay. Talk to me about the book. <laughs> okay. So talk, it, actually, we, we this was actually fat. We, need to, we need to talk about Netflix for a second. Like, so, what, so you're right on the cusp. I can't like pull the rug out. From well, no, it's actually a fantastic intro because what we've done is led this right up to where the book picks up, yep. which is where Reed and I are in the car, driving back and forth in this period where we're waiting for the deal to close, nothing really to do, and going, what next? And you're brainstorming. And we're brainstorming because I'm going, I'm starting yeah. this company. Reed's not. He's going to go off and be in. Go he's going to go off and, and reform education, but he wants in. And so he begins, he says, I'll back you um, and I'll be on the board. Go off and do this. And, but we need the idea. And that really is where that will never work kicks off is us brainstorming ideas and stupid ideas. You know, like Everything. personalized baseball bats and customized dog food and shampoo deliveries. All predicated so, in this model of delivering it. And Internet and delivering it physically. And personalization. And personalization. Which is my other big theme. So we yeah, were looking for this category. And then, you know, this, this crazy nut like Jeff Bezos has this weird idea about selling books. Books. Uh, and so we're going, what are the other big categories? Um, and video is an $8 billion. Video, video sales, $8 billion category. But I go, Bezos is going to take that one. Were you, were you the CEO when Blockbuster passed on buying Netflix or no? No. That was after. Yeah, that's back that. when we were reading and I were running the company together. Understood. I love like that. Like I love that, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if you know that Yahoo bought both Google and Facebook and both deals died. Really? Really. I did not know that. So I always think about the what ifs. Yeah, yeah. That made a great, I, I was thinking that should be one of those uh, special interactive TV specials where you can hit, hit this button and you can see what happens if Blockbuster did, did buy us. You know that that is my dream of what heaven is? <laughs> my <laughs> core dream of heaven is being able to see scenarios play out that didn't. Yeah. The reason I'm never scared to make a decision is I know you'll never know the alternative. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah. So to me, my nirvana mindset of what heaven could be is the idea of going to heaven and then be, like, this is the one that I always think about. So I'd be like, okay, heaven machine. Like I sit down, like, I'm so I died. All right, let's move on to the next <laughs> chapter. You know, this is literally how I picture it. Literally how I picture it. I'm like, all right, let me start enjoying the new thing. Yeah. It's over. I died. All right. So I would say, all right, heaven, first question. Show me the draft pick that the Jets <laughs> should have taken that would have led them to actually winning a Super Bowl. Yeah. Right? And then you see it play out. The biggest one for me that I always think about, heaven, show me when I would have died from a horrific accident had I not done something weird like went back and forgot my keys yeah, and yeah, thus yeah. that threw off the timing and the tree would have fell on me. Or when I when I took that flight and had I stayed here, I would have choked on that bone at dinner. Like, I don't think people understand. This is what fascinates me about decision making. People think it's binary. Right. They're like, oh, which job or university or what start? Like, you're not gonna, it's Doesn't so Doesn't make that complex. big of a difference, yeah. It, yeah, it's just one little one little choice. It's not going to set your whole life path. It's you. You have control of those things. I talk about it all the time. Yeah, 
So that's what this book's about. So this book is about two things. It's the untold story. It's it's it kind of reveals that it's Where not just. Your, this, I don't know this at all. Where are you in Reed's relationship right now? Great. Really awesome. Really good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Still socialized together. We uh, awesome. we talk all the time. I mean, it's a we had a because really, I would have a lot of empathy to write this book in the white heat moment of Netflix right now, and it's still like we're still right in the epicenter. I, I'm actually genuinely curious. It's almost be like if my brother right now wrote the book of VaynerMedia. Like we're still in it. Yeah. I always think it's a lot easier to talk about when it's over. Right. So I guess my real question is, was there anything you wrote in there that you like were like, oh man, I hope Reed is okay with me saying this. Did you have him read it? Like I actually am very curious about how you write this book right now. Both. Both of those, both of those things, which is I said to myself, I have to be honest and vulnerable here yes. about myself. Because there's a lot of stuff that I didn't do well. A lot of things I made of course, mistakes. Of course. Because the whole point of the book is is to show that someone can make a dream come true, but it's really to say how, so that someone else can see these things and go, I I think I could do that. Not start a company, not become, first, first, first. but take any idea they have and execute. And execute. That's what I wanted. And to do that, I have to show that I'm not superhuman. Sure. I can't. I don't make a miraculously always sure. the right decisions. It's an approach. So with so with, I did the same thing with Reed. He is a real person, not this super CEO. And I love. It was did you, done. Did, ev- you, did you go up? Did you do? Uh, did you go up front and say, "Hey, I'm thinking about writing this book." And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be super transparent about it. And thus, I'm going to talk about my shortcomings. But are you okay with me going there? Because he's still in it. Yes. And we talked a bunch about it. And there was, there was one moment. I mean, I, I think about, I apologize. But I think about my brother coming to me. And I'm just like, I want to write this book. And I'm like, cool. Like, where my, where my body goes, like, bro, can't you just wait? Because, <laughs> because while I'm still in it, you're, you're with it while I'm in it. Whereas when it's over, it's, I mean, I've been able to share so much more about Wine Library since I'm out of it than, I mean, there's so much I still want to share about to my audience that I can't just yet, because if I do, it me up because I'm actively driving this boat still right now. Absolutely true. And I, it took distance. I could have written this when I left. I left in 2003, so 16 yeah, years time. ago. Yeah. Nuts. It took that much time. For me to get some distance because I had to realize yeah. all the things that I did, not just at Netflix, but at the previous companies, yeah, yeah, yeah. what were the ones that were that well, just happenstance and what were the question? ones that worked? Because this, really, this is a really interesting question. I believe that I talk a lot about creating clarity of the fact that I owned nothing of Wine Library because I thought it was important to help the audience. But, the, but there is an absolute truth to the fact that there was a certain time in my career that I didn't want to create that clarity because there was a level of, you know, that's who I was. You know, like I was a owner of Wine Library. Like I didn't want to give up that truth because otherwise I had nothing because I restarted. Right, right, right. And if I'm being fair with myself, I, you know, I didn't create as much clarity of me owning nothing and building it for my parents. Now it's this noble act. But for three or four years there where I didn't create clarity, I needed it. I had my own level of insecurity, even though I'm never that insecure. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. I apologize. Oh, sure. But I want to ask you a very deep question for me. How are you dealing with, you know, it's been 60, you know, I love, I think I'm only even asking you this question because of the vibe you gave me by saying it's been 16 years. It must be very tricky to be the co-founder and first CEO of Netflix in a world where it is the company that it is now, which is a very different uh, you know, iteration of what it was. Like, how do you balance the gravitas of such a title versus your own internal mechanism of how much or how little, and I, which I have no context for, of how you feel about where it is today being based on your DNA and execution? That's an unbelievably good question it, because it is something that takes, took a long time to put into context, which is I don't, I, I don't want to take credit for something that's not me. I believe that about you, which is why I even felt the courage to ask you the question I just asked, writing which this is book why was, I think it's a super important question. Writing the book was fantastic because you begin to realize what we really did accomplish in going from zero to one. What Reed has done is going from one to 7,290, which is also remarkable. I understand. And I recognize every minute that when I travel someplace and everyone wants a selfie with me because of Netflix, yes. 
that's not cussing me. Yeah. So the real thing is, what do you do with or that? Calibrating what part of you that is. Correct. You can't. I'm not going to say no, no, no. Go away. I mean, that's. But I'm. I am saying, what do I do with that? Yeah, that's right. I have a. I can show up to speak, and people come to hear me. And what Mark, do I? How do I use that? Yeah, and I'll be honest with you. Having it framed up in my mind of what was going to happen. That's not. That's actually just not true. Having enough knowledge of what happened with the company from afar. It's really interesting where my mind and heart is going right now, which is, wow, this guy has so much to give. Because I very much, you know, listen, this is me paying a compliment to myself. So it's not as good of a compliment as it sounds. But like, you know, the reality is when I see these similarities that we have and I know how valuable they are to be a conversation, you know, all of a sudden it's like put me in this happy place. And it's actually where I, I actually asked you that question because I actually think it's the kryptonite potentially to all the good you can do over the next three decades. I think, and just hearing you answer it, and even the zero to one, one to like I'm happy right now because I believe you have a lot to give based on what I'm hearing come out of your mouth and the origin story. And I love the fact that you've been able to calibrate this dragon because I think the dragon could have been the thing that unwound you. Do you know, me? You know this because you're doing the reverse of it. You know how many run around and take credit yeah. for that, I mean, that they're not even remotely close to having to do with it. They, they happen to like stumble. There's literally people who like cleaned the toilet at Netflix in week one who claimed to be the CEO. Yeah, it's bogus. I agree. It happens every day. Yeah, and, and it's absolutely what I didn't, I did not want that I to be. I believe that. And it's now. it's also saying it's not wasn't me. There's a cast now. of there's a That's cast. A really of, important point. There's a cast. Of, even the zero to one. There's a cast of people who all contributed 100%. immensely. And it, it, that's what I want. That's, that's what I want people to see. Is this you. is this how? Is this a that this is not some guy who took M, got I, his can MBA I, can and I, can, nah, I give you, can I give you a huge recommendation? Of course. I highly recommend you putting out some more content around this on LinkedIn at scale. I think you can really help people. Uh, I think there's a I'm lot doing of people my best. who don't have the luxury of you and I's self esteem and circumstances who create association with success that has nothing to do with it. You know what it's like? It's like all those Golden State Warrior and Patriot bands that run around that aren't from those towns yeah. who need to wear those jerseys to think they're successful. All these <laughs> face Patriot fans, Mark, that are walking around today proud of themselves because they root for a team that won 43 nothing yesterday are losers. Yeah. Now, you can be have pride in your team, but if you have no association to the Patriots, you're not from Boston. Nobody in your family's from Boston. You didn't, go, my favorite one, you didn't go to Michigan. All these <laughs> faces from Michigan were like, well, I went to Michigan and Brady went to Michigan, so I'm a Patriot fan. You. You're from Seattle. <laughs> you know? So all those people, right? You know, the, the people from New England, the people whose parents are from New England, they can get there a little bit. But like needing some association from winning to make yourself feel like a winner is the great vulnerability of our society. Yeah, that's, that's a really astute observation. I agree. Wow. And I think you, you, with this story and your DNA is no joke. So far, I don't know that many people, but I yeah. know a lot of stuff could have an incredible impact on this conversation that I think leads to a lot more happiness and a lot less insecurity. You. Yeah. I really mean it. it, it I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being selfish about an ambition towards happiness. A lot of people try to associate themselves with winning that they deep down know they had nothing to do with. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's an honesty and a vulnerability, and you got to be able to do that for yourself before you can do it for anybody. Where do you live? I live in Santa Cruz, California, mm -hmm. which is beautiful. So uh, I, I've got a pretty, I've got it great now. I do get it. You know, I don't do it. I have a slightly different model because I work with this very small number of people, very you know, doing mentoring for early Did stage. You up selling shares of Netflix. Did I what? Like, how did you play your selling of shares? Not to not to go too deep into your. Like, no, let me it's give you okay. an example. Let me uh, let me tell you how why I'm asking. Please, because I think it could teach people something. Uh, I never sold a share of Facebook. I was a very early investor, right? And I never sold a share. And it blows my mind that I now have more money than a lot of early Facebook employees who sold at nineteen dollars a share because they just wanted the quick liquid. I've never been in a position like you have. I'm always fascinated by executives that are part of these kind of long tail wins. 
like by selling one share, you're leaving money on the table. And I'm always fascinated how people play it. Not to, I don't want you to go too deep because I don't like to pry. How did you think about it strategically along the way? Exactly the opposite of you. Please. Uh, oh, I really? my attitude is nobody knows anything. Fair. I mean, no, you you were lucky with Facebook. Why you, 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 know you might have funny? you might have owned shares of Yahoo? And if you tell me I could tell the difference between no, Facebook no, no. and I Yahoo, I never say that. I never say that. And if you had Yahoo, you'd have lost all your money. Yours, is, I have more empathy for because there was such a substantial business model shift. Yeah, yeah. The, I was flabbergasted, and here, and this is where I can say I wasn't lucky because you could see videos of me as scary during that time, <laughs> yelling, yelling at people that Facebook hasn't even started, yelling, yeah, yelling. Um, yours is different because it was such a gigantic switch of a business model. Yeah, it's true, but that, you know, I have always had faith in our ability to do those things we talked about earlier, which is always evolve. leave the past behind yeah. and evolve, and recognize, and we did it many we times. Control. I have a whole bunch of, exa- of examples of when we did that. I knew this company would do that, but still, I sold shares continuously. That I understand. I think the question, you know, the question is, did you go by the book and do what a lot of executives, like continuously or no, you was weren't, ever, you weren't allowed to do that back when I was a lad. Because then if you were, first of all, we had the IPO yep. and I had had some reasonable successes, you know, yeah. these magazines so we'd sold, mail order yeah. companies so and all that dollars. kind of stuff. So, but this was a different order of magnitude. Yes. And were you I, freaking out? Yeah, of course I was freaking yeah. out. And were you like, I can't wait to six months to sell, <laughs> like, like the unlock? No. Okay. Be, uh, different. Some yeah. part of you. Yes, but not not for that reason. I was going, I need to, this is so different. I can't gamble my family's yeah, 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 legacy. Yeah, yeah. I respect that. Because of that. And so it actually was, one, there was two reasons I left Netflix. And one was recognizing I'm not, the in, guy for this. it's too big of a company now for me. I, I'm, not good at, I'm not good at that. I get it. The other one that was- By the was, way, real quick, I apologize. I will never be the CEO of a public company. <laughs> I won't. I, no. I, I can't. Very different. I'll be terrible at it. Yeah. No, no, really bad. Like I get on a, like, like what do they call like uh, when you have earnings call? Earnings call? <laughs> like the first question. Like the first question is like, Gary, why did Vayner have a bad December? Like, you. What do you mean you're asking? You're a student on Wall Street. This is real. Because I think in four years this voice is gonna be big. So I hurt my PL because I'm investing. Right. I, I'm totally. <laughs> I'm totally with you. Yeah, and then I all of saved, a sudden, next day, Wall Street Journal's like, Vaynerchuk curses out, Goldman Sachs should be off the board of a board of, like, I'll be, I'd be fired within 43 <laughs> seconds. I, I have a reminder reading folder, which I look at every month or two, with things in there I want to remember. And one of them is a Jeff Bezos letter, bef- right when they went public, saying basically, that. don't buy this stock if you are looking for the stock to go up. Because I am not, I promise running it. So I totally agree. That's the counter to why I think I do want to go public. But anyway. And be like, do not buy a single share for next decade. And then I'm going to rise like a phoenix and kill all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway. So my my theory is the same. Let's do do a couple things. Yes, sir. Knowing that I want everybody who's listening right now to buy this book. Who do you think this helps the most? And the book's out now. Yes, oh, tomorrow. By the time we air it. Tomorrow, uh, free tomorrow. For watching yeah, up, but no. you can buy it pre-order. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'll give, I'm gonna take What's a, your gut a tell slightly you? circuitous route by Go saying ahead. that you've, everyone has heard that advice, follow your dreams. Yes. You know, everyone has this idea. They wake up. It doesn't need to be a business. It can be something they want to start, something they want to try. The way they want to parent. Absolutely right. I've been right. really hot on this. Like, there's a lot of stay-at-home parents, because I've been getting more into this space, who's like, you gave me the courage to homeschool. You yes. gave me the courage to take my kid out of lacrosse. He's the only kid not in lacrosse in this high net worth you know, town. And it excites me. I'm like, wait a minute, this is as much like entrepreneurship as I thought it was. Have courage to do what you know is right. This, that's who I think benefits most. Anybody who has these ideas and they're going, oh, I wanna do something, but I, fill, but in, I. The, fill in the yeah. blank. And I'm going, this is the, get a, stop. Um, but it's not just, Here's this step one, step two. It shows how that thinking works in building something for real. How competitive are you in your own mind with your own self about the success of this book? Oh, I'm not competitive. <laughs> like you're like looking at the rankings every minute. Like yeah, you're, yeah. You're, but, you're totally sucked into the but game. But not right? because this is. No, so, for, the, for the game of it. Yeah, the game of it. So I don't really, it's not going to change. It's not the economics. It's I'm not going to change my I, life I've for a second. Five New York Times bestselling but books. Every. 
economics. Everything I do, I want to do really well. I understand. And do so, you have a friend who's like a good friend who like you have this like fun like you're maybe she or he doesn't even know this but you have this weird like <laughs> I want to sell you do right I knew it give it to me give I'm it to me. No, I'm not gonna tell you this one okay but at least but, go uh, abstract with me other other people who've written books and I'm like and they're looking at the yeah. numbers and going uh-huh. I'm six thousand and they're like uh-huh. three thousand uh-huh. uh-huh. okay so but again it's it's because first of all I'd never published a book before okay and I'm going. Part of it is how cool is it writing the book, the structures, learning about yeah. that. Then the other thing is, what a, how do you learn how to sell a book? Well, what, and, and, and it's and just is, digging way, in. This is for my awesome publisher, you know, at Harper, Little Brown. Like, I'm going to make a very simple blanket statement that I truly believe. <laughs> I know believe. what's coming. I know yeah. you know what's coming. <laughs> how quickly do you learn that a publisher sells zero books without your help? Quickly. I'm the advice of my counsel. Listen, I'm going to take the fifth it, it on this is, one. It is, it is what it, and by the way, first time authors get caught because you don't know. You don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I, I it is what it is. We all right. Think, I'll, you know, I'll, you can yeah. kick me if you have to. Yeah. But it's like, uh, I go, why is the hardcover coming out before the paperback? I don't Like, Is, honest, it, is that good for the Mark, reader? This is not because I've completely run well over. This is because I don't want to have this conversation because I'm going to jump out the window. There's nothing <laughs> that goes on in publishing that makes any sense for 2019, especially when the framework is the one that you and I have. Yeah, there is some irony on I, I, this business which overturned this whole established yeah, yeah. way of, of doing sequencing movies, and now I'm Well, you know what's interesting back. about book form? People make fun of me a lot of times. Like, Gary, you on all this stuff. Why do you write books? I'm like, because people read them. <laughs> yeah. I don't impose my way of learning on the world. And I understand that a lot of people learn in this format by their desk at night, four nights, bang through it, on vacation. Like, I, I have no passion. It's why I put out content on every platform. Right, right. I don't care if you want to listen to this podcast. I don't care if you're watching live right now on LinkedIn. I don't care if one of the cool snippets, I want that selling. I don't sell. I, you know, like, you know, if that becomes the gateway, like, I don't get to judge how one learns. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. Thanks for being on. My pleasure. Uh, it's been really awesome. Thank you. Pick up the book, guys. I have a funny feeling it's going to bring value. Thanks, guys, for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed. And more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. <laughs> have a great day. <laughs>